Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall punchlines in a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a bugle. No, it's the Gargle, the glossy magazine to the Bugle's audio newspaper for a visual world. Yes, it's the Gargle, strange visitor from the Bugle universe who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Because unlike 90% of her colleagues in the news satire business, she's a woman. The Gargle, which can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel, and who, disguised this week as Andrew Zaltzman and Sarah Key, worth mild-mannered reporters for a great metropolitan quote newspaper end quote fights a never-ending battle for truth justice and the news stories you love without the politics that make you want to shoot yourself from the face of the earth in a rocket i'm talking to you elon musk and now another exciting episode in the adventures of the gargle andy sarah welcome to the show hello hello hi thank you for having me The front cover of the magazine this week is a picture of the east coast of Australia in a wet dress and eyeliner saying, if you can't handle me at my bushfire season, you don't deserve me at my floods causing spider plagues. <laughs> Subheadings in Screamers, Prince Harry flaunts his new figurehead positions, marginally more meaningful than his last one. And uh, the satirical cartoon this week as the Olympic torch relay begins in Fukushima this week's satirical cartoon is censored and all our cartoonists have been preemptively both fired and cancelled. We apologise for any offence caused by <laughs> you imagining the deeply offensive jokes that might have been made here about Fukushima <laughs> and the Olympic torch. The replacement harmless satirical cartoon is the sideways boat in the Suez Canal dressed as Gandalf from The Lord of the Rings shouting you shall not pass at a balrog made of flame and shadow that represents the economy. <laughs> and now we open the magazine to section one. Top section this week is the reupholstered virus, innovations in the world of virus. And this story is where Israeli scientists have claimed to invent a nose sanitizer that will kill 99.9% of viruses. Sarah, you've kept your nose clean of late. Would you like to tell us about this story? Yeah, basically they've developed a hand sanitizer for the nose, which <laughs> I love this concept because it feels like they were maybe looking over at the UK going, nobody's going to take it. If we're going to get them to take it, they need to snort it. Like, that's <laughs> just a bunch of people in the UK like, mm, I prefer to do it up the nose if that's possible. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to try it. Apparently it's supposed to protect from the contagion element of having COVID. If you already have COVID and you, and you do a little snort of this, it, it basically blocks your nose. So it's just a little nose mask, isn't it? <laughs> it's the equivalent of putting a tampon up your nose. Has that basically. not been tried? It has been tried <laughs> by potentially somebody on the Zoom call. <laughs> well, there's 99% of viruses, 99.9% of viruses being killed by this nose sanitizer. That's the, is that the same 99.9% of germs that all hand sanitizers claim to kill? In which case, have they just been snorting Purell? And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Can we not try and take down that 1%? 
please. Well, I mean, this is what I'm concerned about with this as a as a snout spray skeptic. It's the 0.1% that that really worries me. I'm sure stopping 99.9% of viruses getting in is all very well, but that in no way outweighs the 0.1% that are getting through. Because what if that 0.1% turns my skin into lizard-like scales or <laughs> turns my eyes into beetroots? What then? I can't take that risk. Slightly worried that you're sounding slightly like an anti-vaxxer there. <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm an anti-snout sprayer. And you know, <laughs> what if I take the spray... And it stops 999 out of every 1,000 viruses. What if I then get run over by an escape bus? What good is it doing to me then? So there are simply too many unknowns. I can't take this. I can't take it at all. Well, the person giving you mouth to mouth can rest easy at night. (laughs) Andy, there is no medicine that you can snort that will make you invincible. But there is one medicine you can snort that will make you feel invincible. (laughs) (laughs) Love that we're calling that medicine right now. And the stock market is rocketing in America as meme-fueled investors high on GameStop power fling their stimulus checks into the ever-hungry more of the forest fire that is economic growth. Andy Zaltzman, you're a published self-taught economist who spent years embedded within the economy to yes. discover its secrets. Yep. Uh, what's happening here? Well, I mean, the the economy is, has had a tough tough time, uh, really. It's, a, it's basically an endangered species, the economy, and needs all the help it can get and um i mean really these stimulus checks are, are, are designed to you know to save the economy but i think really what people need to use them for is prepping for the next crisis i think it's deeply i mean gambling which is essentially what stock trading is that is as valid as eating as a human activity i mean what what is the point of being alive if you're not risking yours and your your dependents futures by gambling on stocks or sport but but i think we need to we need to turn this money to building ourselves underground bunkers with <laughs> enough supplies to last for 20 years so that when the next virus comes, we're much better prepared. And instead of this sort of half, you know, halfway house between human life and full lockdown, we just bury ourselves underground for 20 <laughs> years and come out and uh, pick up where we left off. So that's what this money should be uh, should be spent on. I mean, in terms of the, the economy, you know, as you said, I've been... Um, I've been embedded in the economy now for 46 years and you know I've I've become you know we've become it's, I know it's almost a kind of Stockholm syndrome uh, that you know we've become I wouldn't say friends but you know we've 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 learned I hope we've learned to respect it. I think I respect the economy more than it respects me to be honest <laughs> The economy respects nobody I'm afraid uh Sarah Keyworth uh, would you be stimulused by a check I mean because this is specifically the US stock market isn't it this, this is Americans mm. just being handed money and, and choosing to gamble with it rather than uh, than actually use it for any sort of important means there was an article in an interview with a guy um, um, a, 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 trom- a trombonist? A tr- trom- Trump, Trump supporter. Who's <laughs> lost like like more than half of his work. Who's decided to invest his stimulus checks in a cinema chain. And um, it's the most bizarre thing because there's a picture of him clutching his trombone like it's his baby. <laughs> and you think, this guy is... You shouldn't be taking his money. This guy's having a breakdown. <laughs> also, I mean... Uh, is it not quite impressive as a trombonist in the current climate if you've managed to keep half your yeah. work? If he's only lost half, I mean, what what what, what tromboning work is there? Andy, I didn't believe a word of it. The guy's lost his mind. How much Zoom tromboning is there to do other than walking around behind Nazi uh power rallies and making them sound ridiculous with a sad <laughs> trombone soundtrack? I don't know what the work is. There's this website called OnlyFans, which I think a lot of tromboning <laughs> happens on there. So perhaps that's where he's making his money. Yes, his, his username is Trombona. <laughs> I don't, maybe they're used in the American Health Service to, when you know, people are given bad diagnoses as a kind of... <laughs> there he is the whole time. Just to lighten the mood a bit. They're calling them stimmies as well. These stimulus checks are called stimmies. Of course they And are. I just think the moment you hand the first one over, someone goes, thank you for my stimmy, you go, actually, I'm going to take that back. <laughs> It's deeply upsetting. And your turn of phrase of uh, don't take his money, he's clearly having a nervous breakdown, is true of literally every single transaction that happens in the American economy. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, yeah. Leave that poor man alone. Your ad section now, because in what other context could you, the listener, and I, the producer of this content, both be secondary to the actual business transaction for which our connection is merely the conduit? 
Are you worried your dog doesn't make you look rich? <laughs> Try Rich Dog's Luxury Dog Farm and Undisclosed Waste Products Factory <laughs> for your next dog. We sell all three kinds of rich dogs. Rich dogs that are too glossy, have too much hair and look like animate anime teddy bears. Shining gods of pedigree breeding that look like statues of dogs and you can assume they all had at least 18 inbred deformed brothers culled at birth. And the third kind of rich dog, horrifying old zombie dogs. They are on so much medical technology that it clearly costs $30,000 a day just to keep them breathing. Rich dogs, luxury dog farm and undisclosed waste products factory. You can't spell being dogged by the police for stealing rich people's pets without us. <laughs> are you sick of sanitising your hands with hand sanitizer or soap? Think creatively about what else kills germs. Extreme heat, very extreme cold, getting disposable hands. Herman's hands, think outside your box and inside our box. Our box of hands. <laughs> Herman's hands, whether you just want a clean pair of pinkies or the full-on hands of a demented circus clown, we've got just fistfuls of the handiest hands around. Herman's hands is not responsible for installation or the consequences of attaching the hands, which may or may not retain some of the personality of the condemned criminal corpses from which they were harvested. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> Sorry, you're right, Andy. Well, I'll just worry about the, the inevitable legal cases of people blaming what they've done on Herman's hands, <laughs> without wishing to speak ill of your advertisers, of course, Alice. It's just making me think of that joke that I've heard several male comedians in the UK do about uh, lying on your hand until it goes numb. <laughs> I just think that I think Herman Hands will be very popular amongst them. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And now it's time for our second section, Science News. And our Science News section begins with some sexy buried moon news uh, ladies and gentlemen, I bet you didn't think that was going to be the story of today. Uh, this is an article about the remains of the impact that created the moon from Earth. Um, and the impact uh, was a protoplanet called Thea hitting the Earth. And the article about it is possibly the most pornographic piece of interplanetary literature <laughs> I have ever read. <laughs> have you read this story? Yeah, I mean, I'm only just calmed down, to be <laughs> honest. I mean, it was a real... In, you know, interplanetary bodice ripper. I mean, it just makes you think what would happen if Venus and Mars ever finally get it on. <laughs> that is going to be hot. Yeah, so the simulations consistently showed that mantle rocks 1.5% to 3.5% denser than Earth's would survive and end up as piles near the core. It's this sweet spot for the density, says one of the scientists. <laughs> there may be holes in them, Romanowicz says. They may be a bundle of tubes. Perhaps the real story behind the density is the distribution depth. Alice, I mean, is this a real scientist? Do scientists use terms like sweet spot <laughs> and bundle? I think Alice wrote this. This this is a hoax. When they're talking about the moon, they do. <laughs> I think you've accidentally stumbled on some planetary fan fiction. <laughs> Dressed up as a news story. I mean, the graphicness of the writing. A new picture of the moon-forming impactor suggests it could have delivered a cargo of dense rock deep inside the Earth. It's so upsetting. <laughs> it just goes to show that even scientists can write reports with their dicks in their hands. <laughs> um, so I was reading about this. So Thea, the, the object that smashed into Earth... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did. ...and is now currently residing like some form of alien life being prepared to leap out at our weakest moment, which could be quite soon. There are clearly there are clearly aliens. Basically, when I read this article about this, this collision, however many years ago, 
Uh, I mean, it might even be the full 6,000 years ago at the very start of time. Maybe this is how God made the Earth with these two planets smashing together. I've, uh, I haven't read the Bible <laughs> for a while. But clearly, this is a long game by the aliens. They've buried themselves in Earth. They're letting us you know, destroy our own civilization. They're just going to come and finish us off with a, with a few swift punches. But it did raise a fascinating possibility for me. Thea, the object that hit Earth, is speculated to be a similar size to Earth, and the collision basically merged the two and created a moon, which does raise a fascinating possibility for snooker. (laughs) But if a snooker ball is hit hard enough into another snooker ball, it could merge into a bigger (laughs) snooker ball with a much smaller satellite snooklet ball orbiting around it. Now, I've done the maths and I've uh, guessed the physics, and I think you'd have to hit the snooker ball at 34,326 miles an hour for that physical reaction uh, to happen. Coincidentally, which is the exact number of balls that Jimmy Anderson has bowled for England in Test Match Cricket, so read into that what you <laughs> This is my show, not your show. You're not allowed to do extended snooker metaphors here. I've just made up that rule and I'm going to enforce it. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Andy doesn't talk for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> it's all snooker bits. The weirdest part for me in this article was the sort of strangely—I don't know—it's the name of this planet, but it's all—it feels weirdly gendered. It feels like Earth has been this nice guy. He's cracking on. He's—he's he's got his wife and his kids, and then suddenly some woman is discovered leeching off of him <laughs> after all these years and he's it, it's it's very much earth is the victim in this situation and i think <laughs> when you go back to the original story it takes two to create a moon you know yeah what was he wearing on his mantle i think he's just as guilty as she is mainly volcanoes well then it's mother earth isn't it and yeah, you know, maybe mother earth is pregnant <laughs> Well, isn't that not quite exciting? We should be congratulating. Okay, that's getting started. It's getting weird. <laughs> it started weird. It's not getting weird. It's, yeah, it's getting too weird. The source material was originally weird. It's the first scientific article I've read that needed a rating on it, is all I'm saying. Mm. <laughs> Speaking of which, the next story, scientists studying garden hoses and the erect penises of mammals, you don't need to know why, have discovered that they're basically the same thing. Andrew, uh, you're working at the bottom of your garden. Can you help me explain yes. how this works? <laughs> well, scientists have done the, the... Andrew, you've been kicked out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about dicks. <laughs> the, the, the research that is arguably most needed, which has found that the human erection took its inspiration from the garden hose, uh, if I've read the article correctly, uh, that uh, prior to the invention of the garden hose in, I believe, uh, it was about uh, 400 BC in classical Athens, <laughs> the human penis was entirely flaccid. <laughs> However, the structure of the garden hose inspired uh, the ancient Greeks, who were horny old bastards, let's, let's not forget, to uh, use the technology from the garden hose and the, the structures that, that, that maintain the hose's structural integrity um, post-issue <laughs> and in, applied that to the human penis, which enabled the stiffy, uh, named after the um, uh, then Athenian leader, uh, <laughs> Stiffocrates, no. um, to, no, uh, to become a, well, no. a, 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 a much uh, well, highly regarded part of the... Um, uh, male-female copulatory process. So, so essentially, this is it. And it doesn't make you think. You know, I guess if there's one garden implement that Plonk was going to take inspiration from, it's probably good news that it was the hose rather than the trowel, the shovel, or the scarifier. <laughs> and now, hundreds of years later, it makes perfect sense why people in the suburbs get so angry when there's a hose pipe ban. <laughs> <laughs> the scientific article of the scientist was apparently. Uh, testing dissected slivers of armadillo penis. <laughs> Doesn't explain that to anyone. Again, you don't need to know why. Well, exactly. I mean, at what point in, in your career do you start thinking, is this what I dreamed of as a child, <laughs> looking at dissected slivers of armadillo penis under a microscope? <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. I love the idea that hosepipe was the original material. <laughs> it's the first bit that we discovered. Because uh, the article is suggesting that the reason that mammals can maintain such stiff erections is because it's the same technology as a hose. (laughs) (laughs) Which makes me really commend how horny the person was who made a hose pipe the first time. (laughs) So all all we need now is to uh, work out a a means of affixing a tap. (laughs) Um, 
at the end of the, the male pipe, yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that could solve a lot of problems in the world. It would absolutely ruin water fights, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> but I mean, it's interesting that you know that uh, the scientist was was researching the armadillo uh, penis because armadillos need more uh, erectile assistance than any other species because they are uh, incapable of love. <laughs> Do you know that? It's an interesting fact. The way you started that, I thought you were going to go. It's interesting that he uh, he was researching armadillo penises because they're uh, personally not not my favourite kind of penis. <laughs> you have a favourite kind of penis? Be my last choice. <laughs> well, look, I mean, God God made the armadillo penis very much as as he made the the mountains and the rivers and the clouds. So we we should respect it as such. Absolutely, in in the in the sense that he didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, a pop-out post-vaccine Disney princess pop-up quiz. Are you an Elsa, a live-action Mulan, or a Raya? Question one, you'll miss which of these when COVID ends. A, not being able to put off the answer to a difficult question by freezing in place and pretending to be buffering. B, not having old people thank you for cringing away from them. C, not being disguised as a man while you flirt with your superior officer. D, coping with the lack of a zoom filter and the effect of that on your real face. E, the power to control the cold. Or F, something to do with the dragon. I haven't seen the movie yet. Andrew, Sarah, what are your post-COVID plans? Are you going to be having uh, licking parties? Are you going to be breathing on people now that vaccines are coming out? Have you got a, a, a roadmap for your own socialisation? No. Well, it's uh, it's got to be a gradual process, hasn't it, uh, Alice? It's it's like emerging from a from a prison sentence. So you know, I assume the government here in Britain, if it's like emerging from a prison sentence, is planning to do absolutely <laughs> nothing to stop us going straight back into <laughs> lockdown. If they're being politically consistent, I would all be to say, just put me back in the it's the only life I know. So I I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what what what. Um, I mean, personally, I've really missed insulting people to their faces. Uh, you know, it's all gone online now. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to everyone just getting together and uh, calling each other face to face in a good old fashioned British way, because that's something that I, I feel we've lost from our, our culture during during lockdown. I mean, it, it, it's going to be hard, you know, the gradual easing back to normality. I'm not sure that's going to work. I think we need compulsory normality enforced by the police, rigorously enforced. But, you know, if people do anything that wasn't previously normal uh, in, in you know the, the old normality. Uh, then that they should be jailed. I want to return like Voldemort in the fourth Harry Potter film. <laughs> I want Andy Zaltzman to carry me into a graveyard, sacrifice his own hand. <laughs> I've got a bad back. For my strength. <laughs> I want a, a circle of my friends to be watching in robes. And I want to torture a 14-year-old boy for several hours. <laughs> That's my plan. <laughs> it's good to have an achievable goal, Sarah. Thank you. Are you free, Andy? Twenty-first of June. <laughs> I feel like you've just marked yourself as a millennial in the gun sights of the Generation Z, Sarah. I have. In terms of you know social interaction and and how people kind of try to rebuild those those social structures, that's going to be difficult. And just um, news breaking today: the government is going to be issuing official small talk lanyards. Um, so that you don't actually have to have conversations with people. Just you know, it'll there's these sort of electronic lanyards that just say, "I'm fine, uh, <laughs> my family's fine," and I saw the game last night. And um, uh, of course, the London one comes just with saying, "Do not talk to me, do not look at me, do not come within two meters of me," which is just getting back to the way we used <laughs> to live in the before times and formalising the messages we convey with our faces here in London on a on an actual readable printout. Yeah, continue to pretend I don't have a mouth. <laughs> there are some benches in London parks that previously, before all this, had like signs on them that said, "like this is a social bench, and if you sit here, you are signifying to other people that you are willing to sit and have a chat. And my plan for returning to normality is to go around and burn all of those benches. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all the time we have for section two. Now it's time for your reviews section. Sarah Keyworth, did you bring in anything to review? I did, yeah. I have started to dip my toe into the world of TikTok. I know, Alice, you look scandalised. I'm not making videos. I'm posting old videos of stand-up on there. So, like, I feel like I'm I'm issuing an apology. <laughs> I'm sorry for what I've done on the internet. No, I'm not scandalised. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Really? I don't know. I'm ashamed. <laughs> the two aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
But the problem is that I'm simultaneously fascinated and infuriated by TikTok. And that no more exemplified by one I found this morning, which is a is a woman. And I'm not going to name names because I don't want to be a dick because she seems very nice. But she's a Michelin star chef and she's essentially teaching people how to chop vegetables. <laughs> and I saw this and it was like how to cut a tomato. <laughs> and I was furious. I was genuinely... And it's got something like three million views. And I was thinking... How is this possible? How is it possible that nobody knows how to do this? Because ultimately, you just a tomato. It's one of the softest fruit. You just go for it, don't you? You find a way. And then at the same time, I was thinking, but if people don't know, she's doing God's work. If you are stuck in a house with all of these whole tomatoes with absolutely no idea where to start, how do I crack this code? Then it's it's fantastic. So I think I'd give her like three out of five stars because she's executing it very well the tomato <laughs> andy video but at the same time i think i'm i'm not mad at her i'm just angry at, I'm, I'm just upset about the situation <laughs> so how, i mean how do you do it because um, i've tried using a sword and it, it doesn't often work it is it's supposed to be a sword right. yeah but it depends on how sharp the sword okay, is andy right I might be taking. You strike me as a man who has a very blunt sword. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> That's a compliment. Uh, I, think, I don't know if, I, if if I'm going too far back on the backswing. Um, you know, may, maybe I I don't know. Maybe I need to. Do I need to hold the tomato, or because I'm throwing it in the air at the I, moment and then swiping it? Do you know what? I'll send you the video. I think you Thank need you, to Sarah. hit it with the edge of the blade, right, not okay. the flat of the blade. Yeah. I think what you're doing is just playing cricket, Andrew. Oh, yeah, it could be that. Andy's actually just playing snooker with his tomatoes <laughs> and a sword. So speaking of which, Andrew, have you brought something into review? Well, well I have, actually, and it's also to do with uh, the, the kitchen. I, I'm reviewing The Fork, uh, which I'm giving four stars uh, for The Fork. <laughs> uh, one of the all-time great eating utensils. The Fork has played a heroic role, not only in picking up food off plates at mealtimes, but also in human evolution. For the invention of the fork enabled humanity not to waste its time trying to evolve claws and instead focus on developing <laughs> economic structures to control the planet. As a means of picking up food off a plate with the express purpose of transporting it towards your mouth for consideration for ingestive assumption into the digestival tract, the fork has few rivals, especially when used in conjunction with a knife, spoon or another fork. More manipulable than a garden spade and gentler <laughs> on your food and your face than a javelin, the fork has much to recommend it. Furthermore, the fork, available at many shops, if you ask nicely, has also been offered rent-free as a no-obligation <laughs> object loan in cafes and restaurants for some time now. Uh, it is the best of the leading eat-table-aid utensils for supporting a point in a discussion as well, uh, or, or argument, over the course of any meal. It's more forceful and direct uh, than a spoon when waggled towards your interlocutor, but less threatening than a knife and less ambiguous than a pair of chopsticks. A fork can enforcialise any words, especially when accessorised with a bipronged sausage. The fork, however, it should be said, is not without drawbacks. It can cause injury, a fall and a sleep on during a late night meal. It lacks the musicality of the spoon and is a little on the patriarchal <laughs> side of acceptability these days with its microfollicular tines. It also can conduct lightning when irresponsibly used outdoors in a thunderstorm and it sounds a bit rude. Furthermore, it does not prevent COVID like vaccines do. But still, it is a four-star implement, highly recommended for anyone who enjoys jabbing something into something else and then eating that something else. And you don't know how to chop a tomato. <laughs> <laughs> not yet. Now it's time for section three. The environment and our top story in the environment this week is uh, that bottom trawling, which is a thing they do in the ocean and not behind the bike shed, uh, bottom trawling in the ocean releases as much carbon as air travel. As somebody who's been forced to not air travel for the past year, Andrew, have you got your head around this story? I haven't been forced not to air travel, Alice. I've chosen not to for the sake of the environment. <laughs> it's just merely coincided with a global lockdown. But Andy uh, has been doing a lot of bottom trawling, so I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> I have been doing a huge amount of bottom trawling. So, uh, yeah, it, one gigaton of carbon a year released... By uh, by bottom trawling, that that's that sounds like a lot. It's also about the only gig that's going on at the moment that I've heard about. So uh, I'm right on side with this. The report's author said it's clear that humanity and the economy will benefit from a healthier ocean, and that is a key when you're doing a report like this. Is you have to put 
and the economy in that sentence. Otherwise, there is no chance of anyone <laughs> taking any notice. If it was just humanity benefiting from a healthier ocean, no one gives a shit. If it's the things that live in the ocean benefiting from a healthier ocean, people give even less of a shit. But if the economy is affected, you have our full, undivided human attention. So uh, it's a very well-phrased uh, report, this. Uh, it adds, uh, we can realise those benefits quickly. If countries work together to protect at least 30% of the ocean by the year 2030. And this is where it all falls apart. If, that is a f***ing big if, if uh, historical president is ever anything to go by. 30%, that sounds like a lot of hard work. That's f***ing loads of the ocean. The ocean is massive, so uh, that's, you know, humans don't respond to challenges like that. It's got to be achievable. If it was like 0.001% of the ocean, then we can contextualise it. Maybe, you know, Phil, we can just go to the seaside and do our little bit to uh, not trawl a bit of the sea and feel like we're contributing. Uh, and also by the year 2030, A, that's way too soon, because we'd have to get our asses in gear in under a decade, and B, that's way too far away, because that is two electoral cycles away. It might as well be in the year 3000. So, uh, in summary, uh, we're doomed. So you're suggesting we shouldn't bother? Uh, yeah, de- definitely not. No, it's, 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 it's past the next election. There's no f- point. What I like doing uh, with countries around the world is putting them in little categories in my head. Some call this racism, some call this realpolitik. Uh, but my favourite part of this article is it's created a whole new category of associations between countries that I was not previously associating in my head. Uh, the top 10 countries with the most carbon emissions from bottom trawling are China, Russia, you get the theme, Italy. Ooh. Love mm. a fish though, don't they? Yeah. Mad about fish in Italy. The UK, mm. Denmark, France... The Netherlands. The Netherlands. Norway, Croatia, and Spain. How is Spain the top ten anything? <laughs> well, because you have to take, you know, two to four PM off every day. You can't trawl the bottom of the ocean. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> They're doing it in their sleep, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Seem very efficient to be causing one of uh, one of the most damaging things to the whole environment. So this report said we can realise those benefits quickly if countries work together to protect at least 30% of our ocean by 2030. Zach Goldsmith, who is a, a, a government minister for the Pacific and the environment, said the paper highlights the need for countries to work together to protect at least 30% of the global ocean by 2030. So what he has done, this government minister, he has cut and pasted a f***ing press release. That is the level of governmental <laughs> engagement we have in this issue. That is so heartbreaking. Speaking of other environmental positives, uh, apparently feeding cows seaweed curbs one of the most polluting things in the world, which is the methane farts of cows. Uh, Sarah Keyworth, you like cows. Have you been following this story? Yeah, I think this is the same scientist that was doing the armadillo dick stuff, isn't it? He's just been f***ing with animals. It's so weird. Why would you think about it? Why would your instinct be, do you know what, I'm going to give that cow a bit of seaweed, just see what happens with its farts. Because you do one or the other. You think about the cow's farts or you give it seaweed. You don't think this is this will change something in there. I mean, so... basically what's happened here is someone's had a takeaway <laughs> whilst researching a cow and thought, oh, what's that? let's give this a go. Yeah, the cow's poking its head through the door going, are you going to eat that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think more likely someone was trying to invent a, a fishy-tasting cow. <laughs> that's, that's true. Maybe the cow went bottom trawling. I mean, it's it's, it's quite a big, big issue, isn't it? Livestock contributes 14.5% of uh, anthropogenic methane emissions, mm. the worst kind of methane emission. And cows are particularly <laughs> uh, gaseously expulsive. Even, this was interesting from this research, even lady cows, because unlike with humans, uh, female cows do break wind, albeit only uh, around 10 to 12% as much as the lad cows. So there's quite a big difference between our species. <laughs> well, uh, in this particular article, uh, which is in Pop's Eye, uh, they take a swing at vegans in the last paragraph, <laughs> uh, saying that not everyone in the world is able to reduce their meat or dairy intake for the sake of the climate. Uh, I just think that's funny. <laughs> it does seem like it would save a lot of time if, if the humans just ate the seaweed and left the cows alone. <laughs> <laughs> But I understand that that is not possible. Is that not an argument for eating meat? That you know, if you're eating a cow, you are stopping it farting. Surely that <laughs> that that stacks up, doesn't it? But the um, the more cow you eat, the more they'll breed farting cows. No, it's a you've circle. got to eat them. Eat or be eaten out there. It's a vicious cow circle. <laughs>
<laughs> and it will always have farts in it unless we get them on a diet of seaweed. <laughs> Even if they stop farting in real life, the, boy, the those lad cows you're talking about will just start doing it under their armpits. Yep. <laughs> Pull my hoof. <laughs> well, it's not all bad news for vegans. Apparently the growth of plant-based alternatives, animal product alternatives, in Europe and America means that those countries may stop eating meat. Uh, they'll reach peak meat consumption at 2025 and start dropping down in the meat consumption steaks. No <laughs> pun intended. That, that is a lie, Alice. That is an absolute lie. There was clearly a pun intended there. <laughs> I'm shy away from... Don't forget the stable that this podcast belongs to. Never forget who you are. Okay, when I say no pun intended, I meant I didn't write that bit. I was just making it up off the top of my head. So it was a... It, it was, was subliminally <laughs> intended. You knew what you were doing. Unforeseen, unpremeditated. Don't deny your true self. Yeah unpremeditated pun which is the best kind Absolutely. I would say how mad would it be if uh, if this story went viral and people suddenly went off eating cows because they're like I actually prefer knowing that they fart <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit of the appeal well we're solving this problem from both ends which is that these uh, plant based meat alternatives are going to become increasingly convincing and increasingly affordable and increasingly available and appealing to uh consumers which is going to give a big blow to the dairy industry i feel there's going to be many sad cows sad that they're not being eaten on the assumption that they enjoy being eaten i don't i don't know but uh, will you be investing in fake meat sarah i mean i'm i'm a vegetarian so i suppose i am i will be investing in in, in fake meat i feel like you know in, in terms of spending your stimulus check you should probably be spending it on fake meat alternatives so that they become increasingly available i will only invest if they specifically say that they will they will create that that sense that the the thing that you're eating has at some point farted <laughs> andy well i think there's a big psychological side to this uh, are, are humans prepared to give up meat and and not not the eating of meat not the taste of meat uh, not any you know, nutritional side of it, so obviously you can get that elsewhere. Are humans prepared to give up that feeling of being a mafia boss with the power to have something killed on your behalf any time you want? Because that is essentially the subtext of a packet of bacon. So <laughs> uh, I'm not sure we're ready to make to make that. So also, I've, I mean, I think the reason why we're going to eat less meat, uh, less animal meat, is because based on how humans now interact online, I think we're only about three logical steps away from the world just becoming a giant 7.5 billion strong cannibalistic orgy of violence and score settling <laughs> so i think we're just going to eat each other <laughs> rather than eat farting cows so i think that could actually that's probably good for the environment well look i think that this this war between the two sets of scientists the methane reducing cow scientists and the um meat-reducing plant scientists is evident in every line of both of these uh, sets of articles that I've been doing research on. Uh, and I think it's a race, a race to the top. Either we end up with scentless cows or we end up with cowless cows, either way. <laughs> but also, I, there's a, something I need to pick up on this, that the report was saying avoiding meat is the single biggest way to reduce your carbon footprint. I would dispute that having done some research on members of my family, I think it's the second biggest way to reduce your carbon footprint because we analysed the carbon footprint of everyone in my family. And uh, my great-uncle Jeff has the smallest uh, carbon footprint because he died in uh, 1967. So uh, I think that's uh, probably the best thing you can do. Also, education's a key part of this, isn't it? Because kids' books don't encourage children not to, to eat die young. well not to eat animals i mean that, that it depends how you read them sarah and the, the, uh, <laughs> the subtext that you see in those mr men stories and quite how explicit mm -hmm. you make that to your children before bedtime i mean mr tickle that is way too 1970s but look anyway that's a different story the um he's been banned hasn't he <laughs> as he <laughs> not before time but uh, kids stories don't tell the full they don't tell what you know they're not just cute little farm animals are they they don't you know you don't you don't get a pig called sausage in a kids book do you and uh, so they don't they don't associate so if all kids books were com that featured a farm animal were uh, forced to show the slaughter processing and packaging of that animal then you would have a, a much more vegetarian generation of children and when are your children's books coming out and is <laughs> a good time to plug still them still in discussion still in discussion <laughs> Now it's time for a fold-out personality spotlight listicle. Did you know that Jensen Karp, the man who found shrimp in his cinnamon toast crunch, 
isn't the hero we all assumed he was by virtue of his having tweeted something funny that happened to him through no act of his own. <gasps> what? No. Turns out that he, like so many good things in this world, is a creep. Good thing we found that out before he became a beloved part of our childhoods. <laughs> now it's time for section four. Animal Kingdom news, which is to be distinguished from the stories about cows. <laughs> This week, animals are doing it for themselves. And in this instance, it is Noah's Ark, the thing that they're doing for themselves, as floods on the east coast of New South Wales lead to both fleeing spider plagues looking exactly like your nightmares and some motherfucking snakes on a motherfucking life raft. <laughs> this is a story. And uh, as somebody who just drove from Sydney to Queensland and walked a, a little bit by a flooded river and ended up with spider webs up to my knees, I am personally traumatised <laughs> by this exact... I've been part of the news today. Uh, but flood rescue specialists in New South Wales uh, fire and rescue services got more than they planned after snakes and insects started climbing up on the raft when what they were trying to rescue was people. And cats. I know you are very far away, uh, Sarah, but do you find this story ap- appealing? Absolutely not. This is <laughs> this is the stuff of nightmares for me. Sydney can't catch a break either. It's just shit after <laughs> shit for Sydney. What I liked about the story is that they really did emphasize who they were trying to save. Just so if anybody got confused and thought that this was a rescue mission for a bunch of snakes. But they were like, no, we're, we were trying to rescue two adults, four children and two cats. And I was like, <laughs> Noah's Ark rules, that's too, too many children, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, <laughs> You should have forsaken two children and gone for two snakes. That's very true. Andy? Well, I mean, uh, I think this needs to be clamped down on very hard, giving snakes you know, any any form of assistance to survive in, in flood situations. Because how, have these things, these souped-up giant worms, have they not done enough damage to our species ever since the whole have-an-apple-pretty-newly-lady incident that brought sin and suffering into the world? I mean, never forgive... Never forget, and that's why I never give a snake a ride on a life raft. And uh, I think Australia's going soft. They kicked them off. Yeah, not soon enough. They kicked them out, yeah. The, the Italians would have turned them into pasta. <laughs> Interestingly, the mechanism that drives snakes is the same mechanism that drives the common uh, or garden erection. <laughs> the garden erection. Is there a difference between a common erection and a garden erection? One is slightly green. The garden one isn't poisonous. Yeah. <laughs> you can be found in the bushes outside your house. <laughs> what I want to know is how you get a cat on a lifeboat. What, without the fox and the chicken and the grain falling off? <laughs> <laughs> We're back on the moon. <laughs> and in other animal news, it's about to be our favourite time of year, smooth newt mating season. Uh, in your backyard, speaking of common or backyard erections. <laughs> this is a kind of a, a British animal, which you can tell by the fact that it's not trying to bite or murder you. And uh, apparently this is what is about to be happening if you have a garden in your garden, mm. which is exciting. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a huge part of the British year, uh, the smooth new mating mating season. And, you know, we set our annual British clock by it we, you know, we get the bunting out, Union Jacks everywhere as uh, as we admiringly applaud and encourage the newts to f*** as God intended uh, it's, a, it's a great part uh, of the year the smooth newt is um, well I mean it's a you know, in layman's terms it's a piddling little micro dinosaur it's an evolutionary has been that only grows up to 10 centimetres long uh, and it derives its name the smooth newt from its super suave courtship ritual you know, this is why it's called the smooth newt because the gentleman oh, yeah. smooth newt is, you know, is is almost James Bond like uh, in his uh, seductive skills. The uh, reptilian Romeos spludge a packet of spermatules onto a rock. Uh, he then waggles his tail vigorously <laughs> at the lady newt, who, if sufficiently libidinized by the lizard Lothario's erotic exhibitionism, will then use said spermal deposition to imperflatate her over eggs. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a classic mating ritual, really. And in this day and age, do you not think? Male humans, we're always on the lookout for sex tips from other species because it's turned out that we can't be trusted with traditional male human behaviours. And the smooth newt could have something for us (laughs) because they perform the act and then leave it up to the lady newt to decide if she then also wants to participate. So I think this is really the future of, uh, of courtship. It's like if Louis C.K. did his business in a pot plant before inviting his colleague into the hotel room. Yes, exactly. 
Yeah, but the thing is, I don't think that that human men are majorly far away from this because all, what you've left out there, Andy, is that this this newt spunks onto a rock, and then the lady newt turns up and carefully wraps it in a leaf, um, and so just like it's just a tale as old as time with with this newt situation, where a man turns up, makes a mess, and the woman has to show up after him, tidy it all up. And sort it out. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a real shame. What pleasure does she get out of that? She turns up. She goes. Oh, f- the <laughs> satisfaction of a job well done. <laughs> She's got. She, yeah. She goes. Oh, my, that was my best rock. <laughs> I'll go and get a leaf. And she tidies it up. Next thing she knows, she's pregnant. She doesn't remember that happening. I'd be fuming if I were a lady newt. I wouldn't call him smooth. I'd call him inconsiderate. <laughs> Too often, uh, those two things go hand in hand, <laughs> surprisingly. Uh, charm is an amoral quality, Sarah Keyworth. <laughs> yeah. But uh, my favourite bit, I've done a lot of research into newts, uh, is that in a number of places, looking up newts and what they what they do and who they are as a species, uh, a number of websites and forums describe the newtlets, or efts, uh, as looking at one point in their development like miniature dragons. Uh, but mm. of course, dragons don't exist uh, in this podcast universe. Dragons do not exist. So what they mean is that dragons look like very big newts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. But you don't get that in in you know, didn't get that in Game of Thrones. Have you seen the size of that fucking newt? <laughs> but I think it's a real show that the people doing PR for newts need to up their game. If people know more what a dragon looks like than than a newt, bow to the queen of newts. <laughs> It would have sped up a lot of, um, sort of uh, Tolkien fiction, wouldn't it, if he'd been able to go? It's just like a big newt, really. <laughs> so, uh, like a big newt that loves money for some <laughs> And our final story for today is uh, about a talking dog that has become a star on TikTok. This is the classic end of the news section story about a talking dog uh, that has become famous on TikTok because there's actual news in Australia this week and we don't have room for a feel-good Australia story. Apparently people are desperately trying to jump aboard this talking dog trend and train their dogs to talk, presumably so that they can make money off them on TikTok. Uh, Sarah, you're our TikTok expert. Can you dive into depth on this story? I thought the point of having a dog was that you didn't have to negotiate with it. I thought it was like terrorists. <laughs> you know, you, you either have a baby or you have a dog, but you you accept that the baby at some point will start answering back. You don't then go, oh, I'm going to teach this creature that I am supposed to be in charge of to fight with me about things. I watched this video. The, the dog is insubordinate. <laughs> it's like, I want to go for a walk. And they're like, no, we've been for a walk. We're not going for a walk now. And it's like, I want to go for a f-ing walk. And... <laughs> You think, well, if if you're old enough to ask for a walk, take yourself for a walk, mate. Honestly, I just, I don't, I don't understand the desire to allow this creature to have a go at you when you've given it so much already. If I'm on the camp of not teaching children to speak. (laughs) (laughs) You get a job in the Ministry of Education here, I think. (laughs) To me, Alice, this is a definite sign that human civilization has run its course, that, you know, this is what we're now reverting to um, it could also be that actually we're just getting back to human basics more traditional forms of entertainment because is the talking dog on tiktok not merely our third millennium equivalent of the cave painting of a bison <laughs> you know i think maybe we're just we're just returning to our, our our human roots of course you know we like to think dogs are our spiritual soulmates but you know the dog evolutionarily is a philandering killer with no real sense of social or parental responsibility so not a good doggy by most accepted <laughs> ethical uh, metrics, but um, I think now what we're seeing with this TikTok thing is the domestication of the doggy was only phase one. Full anthropomorphization of the dog is phase two, followed by phase three, which is giving dogs control of the planet as we leave in giant spaceships for another inhabitable world far, far away from here, leaving the doggies to clear up all our shit for once. See how you like it, you <laughs> toilet adverse quadrupedal crap machines. Um, <laughs> It's uh, also ironic, I feel, uh, uh, in the current climate that we're training dogs to communicate through words at the exact time that humans are worse at communicating with each other using words than probably at any point in our history. You can barely even recommend a sandwich filling without someone flinging a death threat in your direction these days, let alone trying to have 
a nuanced debate about important issues like uh, history, politics, or the use of video technology in sport. So uh, I think this has uh, come at a very bad time. Have you seen it, Andy? Because they are they have the sort of it's all these series of buttons, and and it is it's things like I think there's like walk and there's mum and there's good, but then there is also I'll kill you and you deserve to die and your entire family is a waste of space. <laughs> so I think it is it's sort of in keeping with the way that we communicate in this day and age and with the mum button is there a button next to it that says you're not my real or not (laughs) yes of course (laughs) yeah i think it's implied when a dog is saying it (laughs) (laughs) if these dogs are indeed the first step in an artistic tradition like the bison cave paintings uh you know in three thousand years when flaming newts are ravaging the countryside uh, will we look back on this moment as the dawn of a new era god i fucking hope not (laughs) Ah, that would be a great title for a podcast for you, Sarah. God, I f***ing hope not. God, I f***ing hope not. That could be a smash yeah. hit. That brings us to the end of the show. We're at the classified section at the end of the magazine, flipping past some uh, lawnmower ads, some lawnmower ads and some adult advertisements. Uh, Andrew, have you got anything to plug? Do I have anything to plug? No, not really. Um, no. Uh, oxygen was terrific. <laughs> Um, but uh, and the you f- have a podcast too, fort. don't you? Oh, I do have a podcast called uh, called The Bugle. <laughs> so if you've enjoyed this, and uh, you might enjoy that as well, so check it out. Oh yeah, also there, there's a, a a two part Radio Four series that is available uh, online uh, on the BBC Sounds app with Anuvab Pal. Uh, star of the uh, the bugle. See, have you had him on the gargle yet, Alice? No, we had him on the last post. No, not of the gargle. Star of the last post, uh, and uh, I would assume at some point in the future the gargle. Uh, anyway, there's a two-part uh, Radio Four series that you can find online called Future Empire Effect. And uh, Sarah Keyworth, have you got anything to plug? I have a, a show on BBC Radio 4 that is also available on BBC Sounds. It's called Are You a Boy or a Girl? This is coming out on Tuesday. Did you say? Yes. It's my birthday the Tuesday after, so if you want to send me a newt, I'll take one. Female newts only, because there's a lot of spunk around here that needs cleaning up. <laughs> but it'll be neatly wrapped in a leaf, so it's quite nice. Yes. Birthday, I guess. It'd be lovely, something to open, finally. <laughs> if you are in Australia, I will be at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival from the 2nd to the 18th of April. Subsequently, I'll be at the Sydney Comedy Festival. If you're in neither of those places, join my Patreon, patreon.com slash... Alice Fraser, where I will be streaming some of those shows when they are good. <laughs> the Gargle is an Alice Fraser and the Bugle Podcasts production. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. And I will talk to you again next week. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com